endocannabinoid system. The American Journal of Endocannabinoid Medicine welcomes you to AGEM Live. On today's episode... If you look at, at history, science advises policy sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. The science with 12 studies on the endocannabinoid system and cannabis-based therapeutics being published on a daily basis, it's just going to be a matter of time until legislators are being forced to make the shift, to make the adjustments, and Ohio is just the latest uh, domino to fall. Hello, this is AGEM Live, where we interview physicians on the front lines of endocannabinoid medicine and the scientists behind the industry's top research trial. I'm AGEM correspondent Larry Luxner, reporting from the 2023 Weekend Summit in Campinas, Brazil. Our guest today is Uwe Blesching, the author of multiple books on the endocannabinoid system, including the Cannabis Health Index, now in its third edition. His other titles include Breaking the Cycle of Opioid Addiction and Your Cannabis Ratio. Uwe came to the United States in the mid-1980s, settling in Berkeley, California. Before committing to writing and research, he worked for about 20 years in emergency medical services for the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Dr. Blessing holds a PhD in higher education and social change from Berkeley's Western Institute for Social Research. His most recent work has been as co-founder and chief science officer at Canakees 360, an app and online platform which, in his work, Words was designed to demystify the science of the endocannabinoid system. Thank you for speaking to with us today. Thanks for your kind introduction, Larry, and it's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, you've been working in the field of cannabis for many years. Uh, what drew you to it? Ah, that's an interesting question. My first contact with uh, patients utilizing cannabis were firsthand, and uh, uh, when I started at the Department of Public Health, the AIDS epidemic was at its height. And so one of the earlier adopters of cannabinoid-based therapeutics were, in fact, patients suffering from HIV and, uh, and AIDS who were poorly served at the time with the standard uh, uh, or non-existing pharmaceutical regimens, really. And so to see patients... Uh, for their uh, various signs and symptoms of HIV, uh, those that utilized cannabis and those that didn't, the difference was literally like day and night. And that was my first indicator of what's going on here. There was a curiosity that was awakened. And that curiosity only deepened and became more complex the more I started looking into it. And then I, of course, uh, um, I dealt with a lot of uh, cancer patients. And the same thing was observed there. Uh, cancer patients, of course, were, were some of the earliest adopters of, of cannabis uh, for a variety of symptoms that ailed them. And again, the difference was like day and night between those patients that consume cannabis for um, uh, uh, to, to mitigate what ails them and those that didn't. And so that was the starting point. That was when you say the difference between day and night, are you talking about uh, the progression of their disease or just the, the pain that they felt? or Primarily or quality of life. I see. But also the, the number of signs and symptoms that are associated with the different cancer expressions or with the, with the, with the different manifestations that, that uh, tend to come at the different stages of, uh, uh, of, of the progression of the, uh, the, the AIDS disease. And as you said, uh, in the mid-1980s, that was the uh, zenith of the epidemic and it was before 
before anything was available. Uh, right. AZT was the only thing uh, that came a few years after the epidemic peaked, and especially in San Francisco. And so, so it, it was a chaotic times. It was a painful times. There were a lot of patients and physicians were unsure about what to do because the, the disease hasn't, hadn't been identified. The, the, the underlying pathology hadn't been clarified. And the drugs that were used were uh, having horrific adverse effects. And so, so uh, faced with that horrific reality, patients quickly started to look for, for answers elsewhere. And cannabis was uh, one of the things that quickly was realized to make significant inroads in managing uh, a number of the, the signs and symptoms that, uh, you know, let's say peripheral neuropathy, uh, the uh, um, uh, lack of appetite, anorexia, cachexia, uh, quality of life in general, the, the nausea and vomiting, all of these symptoms were clearly addressed in therapeutic, with degrees of therapeutic efficacy by certain types of cannabis. And so it was just like, oh my God, you know, uh, comparing those folks that were Ill, uh, suffering from the same condition at the same stage, but those that utilized cannabis were in much better shape. Very interesting. And of course, at that time, cannabis was completely illegal. Yeah, uh, and, and even though California was one of the earlier adopters, now looking back, in those days it was it was illegal, and and the uh, early adopters and their their advocates took a great risk uh, of of uh, procuring um, uh, cannabis and and distributing it. Now the good thing is California was always the the epicenter of really well grown. Uh, cannabis and so had well established in in the underground, you know, all the way up to Mendocino, which is famous for growing really good cannabis. And so, so it wasn't too difficult for for a San Franciscan to get access. Uh, but the uh, uh, the interesting part came actually when when uh, physicians noticed. The, the differences, just like I did, you know, between those patients that utilized cannabis and those that didn't, and then start to become curious themselves and start to do, you know, case by uh, a case series or case studies based uh, a, a data collection, which then fairly quickly led to more and more interest in, in uh, pulling academia and research organizations into trying to understand what is really going on here. Interesting that a few months ago we had a story in AGEM um, about Ryan's Law uh, being adopted as uh, California being the first state to adopt a law, which uh, our readers might remember the article, which allows uh, a, a terminally ill patient to access uh, medical marijuana, which otherwise m might not be able to access it, simply to ease their final days. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that was a landmark ruling, it seems. Yeah, and it was a godsend. And it was, a, it was an important milestone and a starting point uh, that, uh, that allowed a lot of people that realized the benefits of cannabinoid-based therapeutics to spread and to become multidimensional. And, and, yeah. and it has flowered tremendously. Like this event, you know, this literally largest event anywhere in the world uh, that has a focus on cannabinoid-based medicines and geared towards physicians only, you know, uh, is an indicator of how how uh, how multidimensional the, the the newcomer to the field of medicine the endocannabinoid uh, endocannabinoidology if you mm -hmm. will 
uh, the study of the endocannabinoid system, which is the focus of your journal, which I'm very happy to uh, to to know about and and to participate in. And so thank so, you. So thanks yes. for for doing what it is that you do to to spread the science and to get the word out there and to educate people about the use of uh, uh, medic medicinal cannabis. In fact, that's what I wanted to ask you about next. The fact that, as you pointed out in your presentation. This is the world's largest gathering of, of cannabinoids medical specialists. Uh, and as far as you know, maybe the largest that's ever been held anywhere. Do you uh, find it unusual that it's in Brazil and not in the United States or in Europe? Me personally, I do not find it uh, unusual because I've been working with Patricia and Daniel for many years. We've been collaborating uh, between our platforms, the Kanakis platform and the Weekend platform. And so to me, it comes as no surprise because their incredible focus, their passion and their commitment to uh, providing evidence-based education uh, to physicians who really need this knowledge uh, is is second to none. And so to me, it personally, has, it's not a surprise that this event is the, the, the biggest and the phys physician-focused event in the world because there is no other organization like we can that does it at this scale and with this much ease and elegance. Very interesting. Um, tell me about your career, if you would, after you left the um, emergency services in San Francisco. Uh, you began focusing strictly on medical cannabis, right? Yeah, I started, you know, I switched to writing, research and writing. And so I, uh, for a few years, I started to uh, uh, just write books because uh, the, the passion, I caught the passion bug about a, a, a new and novel approach to mostly chronic conditions for which pharmaceutical approaches are, are uh, not sufficient. You know, patients are impatient at just being managed with pharmaceutical drugs. They're looking for novel, new approaches. And so I was on the same... I was on the same search, if you will, and, and, and cannabis with so many biologically active compounds was a natural fit. And so the more I got into it, the more I learned about it, the more uh, that passion started to grow and that expressed itself through the, the writing of um, uh, the Cannabis Health Index. That was the first uh, book, the first edition I published. And what year was that? Uh, that was uh, 19, uh, I'm sorry, 2014, I believe. That was your first published book That was Canada. the first one that came out. And, um, and that quickly grew um, the CEO at North Atlantic Books, who published the Cannabis Health Index. When he moved away from that company, him and I, we got together uh, and uh, discussed the, the concept behind the, the speed with which the science is growing uh, is not conducive to, a, to, to just publishing a book because it takes about two years to update or, or to write a book on this, on this topic. And so we decided that it would be a great idea to create an online platform that allows us to be at the cutting edge of the latest research insights and trends and make those available in a curated form so that physicians can make more informed and discerning decisions to optimize patient outcomes in the clinical setting utilizing cannabinoid-based therapeutics. And that's what Kanaki's 360 is really all about. Before we talk about Kanaki's 360, I wanted to ask you, uh, in your presentation, you spoke about the, just the, the amount of information that's already out there. And you gave an example. You said, uh, if you Google 
cannabis and chronic pain, you'll get hundreds of millions of, of hits. And you said that you went through the first 100 link just to see what shows up. And you said it was very confusing and chaotic. Uh, why is it confusing and chaotic? And can we believe most of what we find on, online about well, cannabis? Well, right there, you already said it. Because w w when you go through the first 100 links or so, it uh, the the side by side comparison you know in one more in, you might have a great scientific article on one side on the other side you have 50 opinions and people you know going down various rabbit holes of craziness and so that makes for a very difficult uh, and chaotic experience if you want to learn and if your learning uh, ought to be or, or if you want your learning to be evidence based and so so how do you know uh, the quality of the source how can you trust the source and that is the, the, the underpinning that makes this process of, of asking Dr. Google for advice so, so, so challenging. And that is what we wanted to solve with the Kanakis 360 platform. You did mention PubMed, which of course is, is uh, published by the National Institutes of Health. And uh, you said that, for example, if you type in marijuana, it will yield 44,517 mm -hmm. results, uh, which translates to 12 every day. That's correct. So and that is an that to me and if you look at the 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 graph with which the science has grown since the early 90s since were the first papers that were published on the classical components of the endocannabinoid system and their discoveries you see a gradual but steep Im improvement Uh, to where we are now at a place where 12 studies are published on a daily basis. Now, granted, not all of those are relevant in the clinical setting, but uh, according to our uh, uh, experience, roughly about 60% can have potential relevance in the clinical setting. So even you know, if only eight studies are published on a daily basis with relevance, uh, relevance to the clinical setting, it's still an enormous pace to, that to me is a direct reflection of the excitement that can cannabinoid-based therapeutics have generated in the research community. And um, for the most part, uh, the, the, the biggest segment of those papers uh, and the reason why people turn to cannabis is, is chronic pain, right? Uh, the three big ones are chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Insomnia. Okay. Yeah. Um, I believe you said that um, currently 270 conditions are being tracked for which can cannabinoids show some degree of efficacy. That's correct. I think by now, it, the slide was is, is slightly dated. It's like a month old. I think the Kanakis platform tracks 275 mostly chronic conditions for which cannabinoid-based therapeutics show degrees of efficacy. Within two months, it's going to go past 300. There's a number of studies we still have on the shelves that we still need to integrate into the platform and right. and. Our team will, will get to it in time. How many clinical trials are we talking about altogether? Uh, currently, we're close to 7,000 trials that we have on the platform. And I would have to do a meta search to find out how many of those are clinical. But uh, there are thousands of clinical trials. Because you, you mentioned a figure of 44,000. Yes. What does that pertain to? 44,000 is the, the exact number that uh, comes up on uh, PubMed when you punch in the word marijuana. I see. So That's it could be a single, anything, single basically. keyword. If you use cannabis, it's slightly less. If you combine, you know, let's say cannabis and chronic pain, the numbers shift and change. But but you know, they're in the tens of thousands, no matter how you look at it. If you filter the can uh, the the PubMed platform for clinical trials, it's also tens of thousands. So Canakees, as I understand it, it's basically the purpose is to filter out and to 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 help researchers 
kind of distill what's relevant to them. Is that correct? It's, a, 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 you know, one of the things, one of the, the purpose of why we created is because it's a time-saving tool. What we do is we do the work that physicians would have to do themselves right. to do the deep dive, to inform themselves, to provide the state of the science and the current uh, con context behind each condition in terms of what is the state of the science. Is it in its preclinical stage? You know, how many are there? Phase is one, phase two, phase three, et cetera. And so we track the stu studies and the, uh, we, we, we curate the studies, if you will, without bias. So we just reflect the key findings of, uh, and we summarize them and we distill them down to the most relevant information that a physician needs to know to uh, um, make the most discerning decisions so that they can, they can uh, give their patients the uh, plant constituents, forms and dosages if there is available uh, uh, evidence behind it. Uh, that they can use as a starting point to then begin the process of uh, titrating the ideal plant constituents that are hopefully going to work best for each individual patient. So basically, it's a time-consuming platform, a time-saving platform, so that physicians don't have to read all these papers themselves. Exactly. And okay. for those that that want to do the deep dive and want to, you know, there are we provide links to all of the studies that we yeah. condense, and it's organized in a fashion that's really elegant and easy to use. And so it's it's a time-saving tool, but it's also a learning platform. Who does the condensing? Uh, it's a, it's our team of researchers and analysts. So basically, they take every every paper that's been published uh, it, uh, that pertains to cannabis and boil it down to its essential. Is it, that right? Exactly. And okay. so so we, and we prioritize, and we have proprietary software. We have a web crawler that literally goes into every repository and uh, searches for all the conditions for which we know there's evidence that cannabis works but also specific properties and effects and constantly on a 24-hour basis searches the, the the web for new trials and then we prioritize and we, we, we want to make sure that all the clinical trials and the most recent trials are entered first and then we backtrack as time allows to include all of the older data. In fact, uh, our data goes back to the, the 18th century because as we're learning now that some of the older applications of cannabis uh, bef before the, the war on drugs are actually in, 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 in many ways an interesting mirror of some of the future applications that are, that are coming out now. And so, so to include the, the historical perspective, we, we you know, in, include studies that uh, are hundreds of years old as well. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, other publications we do is called Rare Disease Advisor, mm -hmm. and, uh, which tracks 36 rare diseases. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering wondering if you can speak a bit about cannabis and its potential role in treating some rare diseases. Uh, you know, that is actually a really good idea uh, that I may have to plagiarize and utilize for the Canakees platform. Because right now, uh, the way we organize it is it's it's from A through Z. You know, let's say arthritis to zoster. Or, or, uh, and of course, there are a number of really rare diseases for which, let's say, there's only five or ten studies 
that indicate you know degrees of efficacy. For example, uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. uh, we hear a lot about epilepsy, Dravet syndrome in connection with mm -hmm. with with cannabis, mm -hmm. but perhaps a, a spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, well, probably not cystic fibrosis, since that's a respiratory disease. Uh, but we we are hearing increasingly about cannabis as a potential treatment for some of these very rare diseases, including those that affect children. Absolutely, especially children, and not just uh, uh, rare uh, genetic underlying pathologies that lead to epileptic, uh, to, to various pediatric seizure disorders. But, you know, there's Wilson's disease. Right now, we're just about to include uh, rabies, you know. We actually cover Wilson disease. Yeah. This is a, uh, an excess production of copper in the body, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. So there's a, there's a potential for cannabis to help treat Wilson mm -hmm. disease? Yes, and in fact, look at the Kanakis platform and click on W and Wilson's disease will show up. You'll see the dashboard and you see all the studies that have been done really? focusing on the Wilson, Wilson's disease and components of the endocannabinoid system or cannabinoid-based therapeutics. It's interesting that you had mentioned that one. Uh, what about cannabis can actually work in the case of Wilson disease? Well, you know, I, I would have to look because it's been a while uh -huh. since I looked at Wilson's disease to, to, to pull out the, the most useful information to, to provide mm -hmm. to you. But I do remember uh, that uh, that some of the studies address some of the signs and symptoms, not the underlying pathologies. Uh, but they've been studied uh, uh, with a focus on Wilson's disease. And so so it, it's in the early stages when it comes to Wilson's disease. That's why it's part of your rare disease It's section. extremely rare. We're talking about no more than 3,000 cases per year. Mm -hmm. Very rare mm -hmm. disease. Interesting. Um, I wanted also to ask you just a bit about regulation. Uh, mm -hmm. In the United States, um, Ohio became the 24th state mm -hmm. to uh, legalize uh, uh, marijuana. I'm wondering uh, if you see this as a trend. Do you think more and more states eventually will be uh, nationally you know, accepted that <laughs> cannabis is used for medical purposes? Uh if you look at, at history, science advises policy sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. The science with 12 studies on the endocannabinoid system and cannabis, uh, cannabis-based therapeutics being published on a Every daily day, basis, yeah. it's just going to be a matter of time until legislators are being forced to make the shift, to make the adjustments. And Ohio is just the latest uh, domino to fall in a long chain of... And I think it's just going to go faster and faster. I mean, now... Imagine regimes like Thailand, for example, that used to have extreme policies when it comes to cannabis. Now, one of the death penalty for a drug. And now, yes. some of the great, some great research is coming out of Thailand, focusing on on cannabinoid-based therapeutics. Iran, for example, not not to say that Iran has great research on cannabis, but they are beginning to study the endocannabinoid system because they're realizing that deficiencies or decreased endocannabinoid signaling is part and parcel of so many chronic conditions that they can't avoid it anymore. So even in places like Saudi Arabia or Uganda, you know, that are typically extreme when it comes to having uh, laws that, uh, that uh, have draconian measures towards anybody utilizing it, are... are um, are being forced to adjust 
their perspective. Well, you picked two extreme examples, Uganda and Saudi Arabia right there. Yeah. Uh, just uh, one more question, if I can. Uh, Kanakis360, what is your model? Do you charge a subscription for this yes, service? Yes, uh, we provide a lot, of, uh, 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 a lot of information and a lot of data in front of the, pay, uh, uh, the, the paywall. But if you want to do a deep dive and if you want to get access to the dashboards that make it easier for physicians to optimize patient outcomes, you will have to subscribe. Um, uh, it's fairly inexpensive. You can do it on a monthly basis, on a six-month basis, or on an annual basis. But like I said, uh, uh, there's a lot of data and a lot of information uh, that's available in front of the paywall. And so please visit canakees.com and have a look for yourself. Free plug. Dr. Overblessing, thank you so much for speaking with us and joining us on uh, AGM Live today. Thanks for having me, Larry, and it's a pleasure to meet you in Brazil. Hmm. Muito obrigado. Uh, just a note to our listeners, if you haven't registered or subscribed to AGM yet, please do so now. You're helping to bridge the education gap by bringing peer-reviewed research and scientific evidence from around the world directly to physicians' inboxes. For more information, please visit us at endocannabinoidmedicine.com. Anandamide, endocannabinoid deficiency, THC, CBG, cannabis, the bliss molecule, CB1 receptor, research, tinctures, homeostasis.